Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God for bringing us here on another beautiful day. Worship the Lord in His house. Another another beautiful day in May. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be in verses 45 through 51, and I'll read them after my thoughts from last week and my little synopsis from last, last week's sermon. So my thoughts from last week's message, his return will be, his, re, his return will be unexpected. Will you be ready? But first, the Lord just reminded me, we must pray and ask the Lord to bless us here today so that we don't, we have his leading and we have his guidance. Lord Jesus, Lord God Almighty in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here, Lord. We just love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord God. And we just pray that you would be glorified in what I'm saying here today. We pray that we, you, we would glorify you in this message, Lord, in our lives. And just in this little house church, Lord, here in McKinney, Texas, Lord, we just pray that you'd be glorified in us. We thank you, Lord God, that you keep us going, Lord God, and you uphold us by your power and by your might, Lord. And whoo, Lord, thank you so much for all that you do for us. So, Lord, we pray that you bless this message, bless our time together. We pray, I pray, and we all pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and that your Holy Spirit would speak to everyone that's coming from online and all over the world, Lord God, to listen to this message. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. Teach us, Lord. Teach us what you ought, what you want us to learn today. And help me to communicate this message well and help everybody that listens, Lord, to receive it and truly the true meaning of what your word has to say to us today. Thank you, God. We praise you and bless you and thank you. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, my thoughts from last week's message. His return will be unexpected. Will you be ready? When I was a kid, I don't know if people are still saying this, but when I was a young man, there was a saying that went around, and that saying went like this. The biggest decision a person will ever have to make in their life is the purchase of a house or buying a home. Again, not sure if people are still saying that, but, you know, that's what was said when I was a kid. When I was younger, I could kind of see the reasoning behind this, right? I mean, for most people, the cost of a house is the most expensive thing that they'll ever buy in their lives. That's the single most expensive thing that they'll you know ever purchase in their house. It's no, no, no more amount of money usually would be spent on anything, one thing in their whole lives, but a house. But... As I've gotten older, something happened in my life to cause me to stop believing that the purchase of a house was the biggest decision that I or anybody would ever have to make, excuse me, in our lives. So today I no longer believe that the purchase of a home is this biggest decision that a person will ever have to make in their lives. Why did my mind change? My mind changed because I have been saved. God saved me. And Jesus Christ has become my friend and my Lord. He's given me a different perspective on life. He's given me an eternal perspective on, on life. He's shown me that the whole of this life, from birth to death, is not the end, but just the beginning. So what do I believe today is the biggest decision that a person can make in their lives while they are alive in the flesh. I believe that this biggest decision is someone can make is 
not their buying of a house, but they're turning to God and away from their sins and accepting His love in Jesus Christ and being saved and coming to know Jesus Christ as their friend and their Lord and their Savior. Why is this a way bigger decision than the purchase of a house? Well, you see, this decision to turn away from sin and turn your life to God is one that not not only affects your life now, but it also affects your eternal life, which is forever. This decision for or against God's way to heaven in Christ determines whether you are ready for him to take you away from this life or you're not ready for him to take you away from this life. Your life, my life, our lives will end someday, folks. Whether it's when Jesus Christ comes back to take God's kids away and destroy the world, or you die beforehand, there's one thing that's for sure in this life, and that you will die, your life will end one way or another. And when your life is over, will you be ready to meet God? If we meet him with Christ on our side, eternity will be spent forever in paradise. If we meet God without Christ on our side, our eternity will be spent forever in eternal torments of hell, burning forever and ever. And as I said earlier, this decision is for your whole eternity or one that will follow you forever. See, the purchase of a house will only follow you in this lifetime. No matter how much money you spend on a house, you cannot keep that house for all eternity. That house will perish one day, just like you'll, you'll perish before the house, one or the other. You can't keep that house forever. So now I hope you see why I believe buying a house is not the biggest decision that a person could ever make in their lives. So today, ask yourself today, If Jesus Christ were to come and take God's kids away today, would he take you? Or would he leave you behind? Or if you were to die today, would he accept you into his paradise forever? Or would he cast you into the eternal lake of fire or hell and the torments of forever? And it all depends if Jesus Christ is on your side or not. I hope Jesus is on your side if he's not. Please make that biggest decision that you can ever make in your life to turn to him and away from sin and surrender your life to him today. If you're confused about that, how to do that, we'll cover that as I go on today in my message. So don't turn me off just yet. Listen to the rest of my sermon and I will cover it. All right. Today's title of today's message. Which path are you on? Which path? are you on? And normally I read the scripture right now, but before I do, I'm going to give a quick synopsis of last week's message just to get us up to speed. And there's a reason why you'll see. I closed last week's message by telling you that Jesus was making a super important point that those that were God's kids should be living a watchful lifestyle until he returns. I also told you that this super important point of his was so important to him to tell us that he chose to illustrate it with two different teachings, with his two next teachings 
Jesus was going to illustrate this important point to us. You see, good teachers illustrate major or super important points so that their audiences can really envision or see what they're trying to say or the point that they're trying to make. And Jesus was the greatest teacher ever. So, of course, this important point that he's wanting to tell us about either getting us to turn to him or us continuing to walk with him and eternally is is the greatest priority that he had on this earth, showing us the way to heaven, keeping us on the path, and getting us to heaven once we were saved. And remember, this watchful lifestyle that Jesus wants us to live until he comes back, this watchful lifestyle is a lifestyle of striving daily to live in repentance, striving daily to get away from sin in our lives. Striving daily to totally put our faith and our trust in God and Christ until he comes or we die first. So it's a striving away from sinfulness of the flesh and striving to continue to put our trust in him. Striving to put our trust in him and turn away from the sinfulness of our flesh. And this is the watchful lifestyle that Jesus was talking about, we we talked about last week. So let's look at Jesus's first illustration, because this week, that's where we are. We're going to cover his first illustration on just how important it is for us to continue to live a watchful lifestyle until he returns. So let's read Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51, and then let's study it over. I'll start in verse 45. This is closing out Matthew chapter 24. Next week we'll be in Matthew chapter 25. He says then to us today, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, finds so so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant, same servant there, I'll talk about that later, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First thing to note, I'm going to point out some things before I get in-depth in any of this. First thing to notice here in this scripture is that there's one master in Jesus' teaching. And this master has gone away. Right? And... This master is going to return. Verse 46 says, Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. In that, the implication is made that the master went away and the master will return. Verse 48, the evil servants, that the, this servant says, my master is delaying his coming. So again, the implication of the master's gone away and the master is going to return. Also notice there that this master leaves his servant in charge until he returns. 
while he's gone away. Verse 45, whom his master made ruler over his household. Who is the one that the master makes ruler over his household? So there's one master, he's gone away, he's going to return, and then there's one servant. The, The image here, the teaching here is about one servant that the master leaves in charge while he goes away until he returns. Who is the master in this teaching, do you think? Think of it mentally. Well, who do you think now, scripturally, we've been through, well, we're, 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 just fin- we're finishing our 24th chapter of Matthew, and we, we haven't stopped except for special occasions since. So who do you think the master is here that Jesus is speaking about in our scripture today? Well, of course, if you guessed Jesus Christ, you'd be right on the money. Why? Well, because he meets the context profile. Okay, that's what Jesus is doing. He was just talking about it. Remember Matthew 24, 42. Watch therefore, he says, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Jesus, remember, he's told his disciples, I'm going away and I will return someday. Okay, so the master is Jesus Christ in this context of this, you know, scripture here. So Jesus, the master who's gone away and left a servant in charge in his teaching. Who is the servant in Jesus's teaching here? Think mentally. Who, who could this servant be that Jesus is speaking about here? Well, again, contextually, we know that it's a Christian, of course, or a follower of Christ. You say, why? Well, the Bible tells us that followers of Christ or real Christians uh, who are Uh, are who Jesus puts in charge of his business or his church or his work until he returns. After all, Jesus told that same thing, Matthew 25, 42, I believe. He was talking to his, or 24, 42. He told his disciples, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So Jesus was talking about his disciples, all disciples, of course, Christians, we know here, uh, even though this teaching is only on one servant, looking at one servant of God, we know that all Christians are really who God or Christ puts in charge of his church or his work until he comes. Now, there's a big point here before we go in depth and looking at what Jesus is saying here that we need to focus on. I've mentioned that already a little bit. I want to make sure you guys understand this before we go because it'll set the it sets the stage it sets the context for this whole teaching. We can't lose it. What, what is, if we miss this point, we, we miss the false doctrine that has been created by scriptures like this where people take them out of context. This false doctrine is called uh, eternal security or once saved, always saved. And these doctrines, these false doctrines exist because of scriptures like this that people take out of context. What is this big major point that I don't want us to miss? Jesus has only given us an illustration of just one servant here. One servant who was supposed to take care of his business until he returns. But, in Jesus's, we know again that all Christians are who God wants to control, God, you know, to be in charge of God's church and God's business. But here, one servant. Look at the verses, verse 45. Read it for yourself. Jesus says, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. 
Go down to verse 48. He says of that same servant, he says, but. What is the word but? The word but is a conjunction word. It, it means that it connects the, the, the whatever's going to be said next with what was said before. He says, but, conjunction, if that evil servant says in his heart. See, notice it's the same servant. The name of the reason of the, or the title, the reason that the sermon is titled The Two Paths, which path are you on, is because it's about one Christian and two paths that any Christian can take. Now, you may be saying, did you just say that Jesus called his Christian servant evil? And I will say, yes, I did. You may be saying, but Christians aren't evil, are they? And I will tell you, yes, we are. But I will also tell you that so is every person on the face of the planet evil. Okay? How can I say that? Jesus says in Mark 10, 18, it's implied biblically. Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. Well, we know the opposite of good is not bad, but evil. Jesus says in Mark 10, 18, all people are evil, whether you're Christian or non-Christian. Roman 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our sin, the Bible says, makes us evil. At the core, we're born with original sin. We're all evil at the core. If you look at a child, if you look at a baby, a baby doesn't have to be taught how to lie. A baby doesn't have to taught how to do evil. A child naturally does evil. Naturally, just naturally just does evil. Okay? So we're all evil. I'll even use myself as an example. I love Jesus and those who know me. You know, I love Jesus with all my heart. And I live for him with all my life, especially those of you who know me. But every day I am still tempted to do evil. God didn't take that away. Every day, unfortunately, I still have the ability to do evil. The ability of doing that evil is still there. God didn't take the ability for me to do evil away from me just because I came to be saved. My flesh still wants to do evil every day. And lastly, I unfortunately have in my last my in my 15 years of knowing Jesus as my savior and knowing him as my lord, I have unfortunately falling fallen into some points of sin as I've gone along my life up to this point. Now, not anything that I lived in for a long time, but I still committed some great evils as I've walked and lived in my last 15 years knowing Jesus. Well, and I just don't want to point out myself, because we all could say that about ourselves, but in case you're wondering, is there anybody else? Of course, we look at King David, scripturally. We go to 1 Samuel 13, 14, and God says of King David, the greatest king Israel ever had, that he was a man after my own heart. Yet, Even though God said of King David, he is a man after my own heart. If we look at David's life, we see that David committed some great evils even after he came to know God as his Savior. David uh, took a woman and he committed adultery with her. Uh, Her name was Bathsheba. 
and he hid it. He got her pregnant. Then instead of coming out with it, he, he went ahead and he had her husband killed. First degree murder, Uriah the Hittite. He numbered all of Israel. He killed an innocent man that came to him with the news of Saul's death. David, even though he was a man after God's own heart, committed some great and horrible and terrible evils. Now, have David and I, and did David, or have I lived a lifestyle of sin since we've started walking with God? No. Because there is a difference between living a lifestyle of sin and falling into some great evils and committing some great evils. There's definitely a difference. We have not. David didn't, and I haven't. But unfortunately, even though we're, we were, were redeemed, David was redeemed, and I got redeemed 15 years ago, we still have committed some great evils in our lives. There is a difference, as I said, of living a sinful lifestyle and truly living for God and righteousness and making mistakes and falling into sin at different times. Actually, today on our sermon about these two paths, we're going to look at these two examples, one of a righteous lifestyle and one of a lifestyle of sin as we look at this servant that God is telling us about today. So let's get back into Jesus' teaching. Let's look at what Jesus the Master says about his servant. Look at verse 45 again. Jesus asks a question. I'm going to read it again. Verse 45, the question. Jesus asks, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? So we know, after all we've discussed, that who God leaves in charge, again, are those that he saves. Those people that are Christians. Those that are redeemed. Those that get born again. Now, Jesus tells, tells us about the two paths that this Christian or servant of his can take. Let's look at this first path in verses 46 and, 40, and verse 47 and see what he is saying about this Christian that he's left in charge and the first path that he takes. Verse 46, he says, Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. What is Jesus saying? Translation. Jesus says here, Blesses the Christian that I find being faithful to me and about my business when I come back. Blessed is that Christian living a watchful lifestyle until I come back. And to this Christian that is busy, faithful to me, doing the things that I said, when I come back, I'll make him overseer over my goods. Or he will be given a place in my eternal kingdom, Jesus is saying. And duties and a title will be given to him as well. Jesus' illustrate, illustration here is of a Christian that is found striving to live a watchful lifestyle when he returns on this first path that Jesus is describing to us here. Or you could say that Jesus in his first path here finds a Christian when he comes back that is striving to live like him and follow his teachings in repentance 
having total faith in God and Christ when he returns. Now, is this Christian on path one still an evil sinner? Yes, he's still an evil sinner. David was a man after God's own heart, yet he was still an evil sinner. When we get saved, God sees us as righteous through Christ, okay, and through faith. But that doesn't change the fact that we are still sinners and that we are still evil and that we are still capable of doing and committing great, great evils. So this man here is still a sinner. This man on the path one, this Christian on the path one, on his first path, he still makes mistakes. He still falls occasionally and sins because there is no one good but God. Everybody sins, see? Every Christian or not Christian, whatever you are, whether you're trying to live righteous or not, even even people I know that aren't saved, okay, that live good moral lives because they just think it's good to be moral, even they still sin. But now, Christians can still sin. This guy is still a sinner. He's still an evil sinner, and he still is not perfect, but he's striving on the path to be faithful to God, to be a faithful servant, to live a watchful lifestyle, and to be striving against sin. And then when Jesus says, I come back, I'm going to bless that servant, and I'm going to make him ruler over all my goods. Now, now that we saw that first path of the Christian, Jesus shows us the second path of this Christian. Now in our next set of verses, we read about number two, the path number two that Jesus tells us about of this Christian servant, please remember that this is the same servant Jesus is speaking about. So remember here how the scriptures here talk, verse 45, blessed is that servant whom his master when he comes will find so doing. And then verse 48, but, again a conjunction, if that evil servant says in his heart. So let's read the next set of verses and read about what Jesus says of the Christian that takes path number two. Let's look at verses 48 through 51. Again, I'm going to read them over and then give a short synopsis of them. Verse 48. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. Look at that again. But, point it out again, if that evil servant, still talking about the same servant, Says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. What is Jesus saying? First thing he says of Christian taking path number two. But if that this Christian of his, if this, if this Christian of mine starts to doubt in his heart Jesus' return, a fall of any man, especially a Christian, will always come when you start allowing doubt to come in. And that's what we see here. But if this Christian starts to doubt in his heart, my return, in verse 48. And because of that doubt, verse 49, he starts to live a life of evil 
we can wrap up that 49 and just say, starts to live a life of evil. We'll just, you know, overview it. Jesus says that when he comes back, or this guy dies unexpectedly, and he still is in this condition, verse 50, verse 51 says, Jesus says, I will throw him into the eternal fire and torment. That's the overview of 51. Because tell me, 51 says, he says that this, this guy's reward or punishment for falling off the path will be to cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where else have we heard about the Bible talking about a place of weeping and gnashing? We know that's hell. There's no place in heaven there's such a place exists. So therefore, the path number two for the Christian, that this Christian takes path number two of evil because of doubt, he falls into hell. That's where the master sends him to hell. He would throw him into the eternal lake of fire or eternal torments of hell forever. Jesus said, just said now, I want to recap this, just, just so we get this into our minds, that if a Christian stops living a watchful lifestyle because he starts listening to the natural, evil, doubting thoughts of his heart, because that's our hearts, you know. Our hearts, the Bible says, are desperately wicked. Isaiah speaks about that. Our hearts, or Jeremiah, one of those speak about that. Our hearts are desperately wicked. And he starts living a willful, sinful lifestyle. Jesus said here, then God's judgment of him was that of someone, was that like someone who never followed Christ at all? Wow. Jesus just said, uh, another way I'll put it, that if a saved person, one who surrenders their life to Christ, stops living for Christ and backslides back into a willful, sinful lifestyle, then he will not make it to heaven because by doing what he just did, he forfeited his salvation. And sadly, I don't know of many churches in this world that will tell you the truth of that, like I actually told you. Most churches in our world believe that once somebody gets saved, they can never, ever, ever backslide or walk away from God. And that backsliding would never cost them their salvation. God forbid, they would never say that to you. They would never teach you that in a church because they're not teaching you the truth. But that, now that's not the only place that the Bible speaks about this concept of the danger of a child of God or a Christian falling away from God or Christ and forfeiting their salvation. Look at what God says through the writers of Hebrew, Hebrews. We go to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Look at the, or 12 through 18, excuse me. The writer of Hebrews says, Beware, brethren, lest, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Isn't that exactly what Jesus just told us here in our scripture today? That that, that, that servant doubted in his heart his master's return. Here. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It's almost identical scripture. He goes on to say, but exhort one another daily. That means, come on, man, let's go, let's keep going. And he says, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
For, he says, listen to the reward. Listen to who the reward goes to. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Wow. We'll get rewarded. Servant number one. If we hold our confidence in God from the beginning to the end of our lives. Today, he goes on to say, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 16, for who having heard rebelled, speaking of the children of Israel now, back whose his context is here, back in Hebrews. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Or you could say, all those that God saved out of Israel. Like Christians are saved, like people today can get saved out of the world. Egypt was like a picture of the world. <clears throat> here in Hebrews 3. God saved his children out of Egypt. God's saving people today. And, and the writer of Hebrews 16, for who, he said, having heard, rebelled. <clears throat> so who, having heard, rebelled or turned away from God? Indeed, he says, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, verse 17, with, <clears throat> with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? So he said, those that got saved out of Egypt ended up falling into sin and falling away from God and then suffered and then died in the wilderness because they fell away from God. He closes out in 18 and 19, he says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. Wow. And that what we just read here? The guy stopped obeying. The guy stopped living a sinful life. A, a watchful lifestyle. And he started living a sinful lifestyle. And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But those who did not obey, verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Obedience to God directly connects with belief. If we truly believe in God, then our lives truly show it. Faith without works is dead. If we truly believe in God, then our lives will show that work of belief. If we truly stop believing in God, then our lives will truly stop showing that belief, just like in our scripture today, verses 45, or excuse me, verses 46 and 47, and then 48, 49, 50, and 51. Jesus and the writer of Hebrews just told us what happens to a faithful servant of God if they turn unfaithful and they stop living a watchful lifestyle. That's not the only, there's one more. And there may be even more just for time. I'm not going to get there all today. Listen to what God says through Ezekiel to the Jews of his day in Ezekiel 18, 20 through 24. He starts out in verse 20. He says, the soul who sins, and we could say lives a willful lifestyle of sin, because that's what he's talking about, shall die. And we're not just talking about death here. God's talking about eternal death, which is hell forever. He said, the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Verse 21, he goes on to dissertate. Now listen to how similar Ezekiel is to Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. But if the wicked man turns from all these sins which he has committed, what did Ezekiel just tell us? What is God telling us there? If the evil man repents and he turns away from his sin and he turns to God, listen to what he keeps saying, then he keeps all my statutes, God says, so he starts living a righteous life, turns to me and starts following me. 
And he goes on to say, and does what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Now we know that Ezekiel and God here are not talking about physical death because everybody dies. Those that live wicked lifestyles and those that live righteous lifestyles. So God is not talking about somebody that's living righteously for him or somebody that's living unrighteously without him. Is not, we're not talking about a physical death here. We're talking about the eternal death. Of this one that repents and turns to him, becomes his servant. He goes, verse 22, None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteous, righteousness, which he, righteousness which he has done. He shall live, meaning he shall be with me forever. And he goes on to say, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live or be saved. But, verse 24, here's path number two now in our section that we're looked at here. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and you could say starts living a lifestyle of iniquity, what is that called? That's called backsliding. This righteous man, he backslides and he falls away from God, stops having faith, and he goes, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? God says, look at what the answer, he answers himself. All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them, and because of that sin which he has committed because of them, he shall surely die or be thrown into the eternal lake of fire or be thrown into hell forever. So, the backslider, path two of the Christian, his reward will be with those that never knew Ezekiel, Hebrews, and Matthew chapter 24. The Bible teaches on this principle over and over and over again. To God... There is no such thing as once you are saved, you're always saved, no matter what sin you may live in and no matter whether you have faith in him or not. Instead, God says in the scripture, it goes a little something like this. If you've been saved, your salvation and your security in God and Christ depends on you. If you go to 1 Peter 1.5, Peter talks about that we are kept by the power of God through faith. So it's not all God. God woos us to himself. We respond to the wooing by surrendering to God. Then, until the end, the Bible says that, at that from that point on, we have to continue in the faith. We have to continue living for God until the end. Jesus said it right here just before this. He said, those that endure to the end should be saved. And if obviously the opposite of if I don't endure to the end, then I'm not going to be saved implies there. So 1 Peter 1.5, we are kept by the power of God through faith. If you get saved, unless you strive to stand fast in your faith in Christ, and strive to live in repentance daily until you die or raptured, you're not going to make it to heaven. You're not going to inherit God's promises 
if you don't remain steadfast in your faith and serving Him and loving Him. The same way as if you're married in a relationship with a wife or a wife with a husband. If at one day you married to your wife, I just can't stand you anymore. I'm out of here. And then you walk away willfully. Well, that wife cannot stop you from walking away. And then you file for divorce. I believe it used to be, <clears throat> excuse me, that if you filed for divorce, I, I, I believe it used to be that your spouse could actually contend it and then you, you didn't have to get divorced. But now there's no such thing anymore, which is that's how it should be. If one spouse doesn't want to be with another spouse, which is, I don't agree with it, mind you, but if they don't, then they shouldn't have to because they've lost the love in their hearts for that person. Okay? So I'm not condoning divorce by any means. Don't Please don't mistake my words. But in a relationship, no one person should have to be forced to stay with another person if they don't love them anymore. And in essence, what Jesus is saying here, what Ezekiel said, what the writers of Hebrews said, if you stop loving God and you walk away from God, God's not going to stop you. If you stop being faithful to God and you walk away from God because you don't want to walk with Him anymore, God's not going to stop you. But know that by doing this, you forfeit your reward of eternal life in paradise with God forever. So unless we stay steadfast in the faith, we shall not get God's reward. Now, after all I've spoken about today, I ask you to ask yourself, as I have to ask myself, we have to ask ourselves a serious eternal question. Which path are you choosing to live today? Path one or path two? In our scripture today, which path would you say that you are on today? Are you path one? Have you been saved and are you living a, a daily, are you striving daily to live a watchful lifestyle? Living for Christ, striving against sin, fighting the good fight of faith and trusting God with every aspect of your life or are you not? Instead, are you living a willful sinful lifestyle? Being disobedient to God in Christ. Living for yourself and in your own ways and not trusting in God but really just trusting in yourself. Which path are you on? God knows that path, and so do you. And they're the only two that do. You and God. But if this is you, I want you to please think about this path that you've decided to take. Jesus says that it's going to end terribly. No matter what pastor or preacher you've ever said, if you've come to the Lord Jesus and you've gotten saved, you're good till you die. No matter what, eternal security, that's it. You're done. You're good. That's not what Jesus said here. Now, the good news for all of us today is even if we're there, even if we've backslidden, even if we're against God in our lives right now, God, and, and you're hearing this message right now, God is allowing you to hear this message, which means he's not giving up on you. He's still offering you a chance to make it right with him. Jesus' heart cry to you today, if you're a backslider, or you've never known Christ, or, well, no, the first, if you're backslidden away from the Lord today, Jesus' heart cry to you is, 
Come home, lost son or daughter. Come home. I miss you. God wants you to put your faith and dependence totally back in Him. Repent of your sinfulness. That means turn away from the sin that you've fallen into and turn back to Christ. And start living a watchful lifestyle. Getting back into His Word on a daily basis. And starting again to strive for that holy lifestyle that brings God glory. You know, the one that people look at you and say, man, that guy loves God. And that's my exhortation to those who consider themselves to have been saved, but backslidden away from God. Well, now maybe you've never made a decision to put your faith and your trust in Christ and give your life to Christ. Well, Jesus Christ loves you so much. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He paid the penalty for your sin on the cross by being punished by evil people for your sin. He died on that cross. He was taken down, buried, and on the third day, he rose again to defeat death. What did he do? He took all your sin and all your shame that you should have been punished for, and he took it upon himself so that you could be saved if you just turn to him and make him your way. He thought of you, and he counted the cost. He said, I love that person so much that I'm going to give my life for them. So I ask you today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, would you please count the cost today? Will you surrender your life today and make a decision to repent of your sins and turn to God so that you can have peace in your soul now? And I can tell you that when you truly give your life to God, God puts peace in your soul. And then not only that, but you get eternal life when you die or he comes back to get you. Or will you keep your life to yourself today and reject God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ? And when you die, you'll lose your soul in hell forever in the eternal torment, whether it's hell or the lake of fire. But know this, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in or put their trust in would not perish, but have everlasting life. So please, if you haven't ever turned to Him, would you turn to Him now? Now, either way, whether you're backslidden or you've never known Him, if you're not on path one in today's scripture or you've never ever been on this path, you need to turn to Christ and confess your sins and repent of your sins right now and turn to Christ right now before it's too late. If you'd like to begin or you'd like to begin again with God in Christ today, please pray with me now. Now, before I pray, I want to make a special note. A prayer, one prayer of repentance, one prayer of confession of your sins, one prayer does not save anybody. Okay? But what prayer does, it starts your communication with God. And it lets Him know that you want Him in your life. And salvation happens when God hears your sincere desire for Him in your life. Once you start your prayer today, and you continue your prayer, and you're continuing of His seeking His face until you die. 
So if you're not on path one today, please pray with me. I beg of you, please repent of your sins and turn your heart to God right now before it's too late. Or else, whether you think you'll be saved forever or not, even if you think you've been saved once, you're not okay if you've backslidden. And you're not okay with God if you've never come to Him. So please, turn to Him now and pray with me and start your relationship or begin again your relationship with God right now. So follow after me in prayer, in your mind or in your heart, or on your knees or wherever you are, and come to God right now, please. Pray with me. Lord God Almighty in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, I am a wretched sinner. And Lord, I realize that I'm not on path one of the scripture that we read today. And Lord, I'm sorry. I've doubted you. I've not been faithful to you. And Lord, I've started living a reprobate life, Lord. I've started living a life against you. And Lord, I'm sorry. I realize I'm wrong. And Lord, by your words today, Lord God, I don't want to go to hell. Lord, I want to be with you forever. If that means, Lord, I need you right now, then Lord, I need you, Lord. I realize I need you. I want you in my life. Please, God, save me. I want you. I need you. Please save me. I need you. Save me, Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. And Lord, I ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer in your heart and in your mind, don't let that be where it ends. Continue now. A faithful, watchful, obedient life to God from this point on. And God will take you with Him when He comes or you'll be in heaven with Him when you die forever. May the Lord bless you. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's Word and not a hearer only. Because... Your life will soon be passed, and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.